0: Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the kindness that you show us week after week as you send your thoughts, storm on everything that you used to control all things to bring your judgment. You continue to show your kindness to us So, we thank you for being so faithful, for answering the prayers of your children. In many, many ways, we know you are a God we can count on. We are thankful that you are such a powerful God. We are thankful that you are such a faithful Father. Thankful that you are compassionate. Thankful that you are very patient with us. You know, we praise you. We know that we cannot really praise you. In comparison to those who behold you in heaven. But we join them to say, may all glory, honor, dominion and power belong to you because you deserve them. We continue to praise you imperfectly. We thank you that you accepted because of our high praise, the Lord Jesus Christ, who pleased on our behalf. So we have gathered this evening to study a portion of your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. And this is a request in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> We're still in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Beginning at verse 2, it reads, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, he is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hauled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them, they sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppose you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The surging water stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of of the sea. The enemy boasted. I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead. In the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord. Who is like you. Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glory. Walking wonders. You stretch out your right hand. And the earth swallow them. In your unfailing love. You will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble Anguish will uh, will grip the people of Philistia The chiefs of Edom will be terrified The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling The people of Canaan will melt away Terror and dread will fall upon them By the power of your arm They will be as still as a stone Until your people pass by O oh Lord, until the people you uh, bought pass by You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance The place, O oh Lord, you made for your dwelling The sanctuary, O oh Lord, your hands established The Lord will reign forever and ever When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to, the, uh, sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is entirely exalted. The horse and his rider... He has hauled into the sea. Now the primary message of this section of Exodus is this. Your praise of God for your deliverance should focus on his person, action, uniqueness, and the manner of his deliverance if known to you. Now, this message puts responsibility on you, the believer. The first we considered is to resolve to praise Him whenever you experience His deliverance or His goodness. So, we proceeded last week to consider the second, which is to ensure that your praise, that in your praise, you acknowledge specific characteristics of God or relevant to his action for which you praise him as well as acknowledge his uniqueness. In other words, what we're saying is there's when you are delivered, there are certain aspects, characteristics of God that are more relevant. Praise Him for those That's what we mean by characteristic. There are those, it could be his power, it could be his mercy, it could be his faithfulness. Whatever it is that's more relevant to that deliverance is what you praise him for, you focus on uh, that particular aspect. Anyway, this second responsibility we stated implies that your praise of God for his goodness should at least focus on three Elements found in the song of praise of the passage we are studying. The first content of your praise should be the characteristic of God that pertains to the, His specific goodness to you. Now this first content is derived from the first thing involved in the focus on Jesus God in the song of praise, we're studying. The focus on God of Israel is given in verses 2 and 3, that involves description of God in three ways. The first description of God is as Moses' strength and song, the second is as his salvation, in the phrase, He has become my salvation. Now, this is followed by his description. Of God as my Father's God. Personal. My Father's God. So we ended our last study with a question of what Moses meant in this phrase that we, of course, will promise to answer this evening. And it is with that we begin. So again, we ask what, who does Moses mean in the use of the phrase when we say, my Father's God? Who is it referring to? My father's God. Now, to answer this question, we should understand that the word father is translated from a Hebrew word, Ab, Abba, that means father in the sense of the male progenitor of an offspring. Now, the word may mean grandfather, grandfather, as it is used in David's promise. To Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, as we read in Second Samuel chapter nine, verse seven. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse seven. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse seven. He "Don't be afraid." David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belong to your grandfather. Same Hebrew word, Ab. Saul and you will always eat at my table. Now the Hebrew word may mean ancestors. Ancestors. As it is used in Prophet Elijah's prayer for God to kill him, as we read in First Kings, Chapter Nineteen, Verse Four. First Kings, Chapter Nineteen, Verse Four, Elijah got uh, really if we say he, he was in a sense depressed in the sense that he you know he had this trait from Jezebel and and after all the success and all that the Lord has shown him he just said Lord I'm through just get me out of this planet it doesn't work that way but uh, he you get out where he wants you to get out anyways this is what Elijah said while he himself Went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, O Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. That word ancestors is a Hebrew word, are. Now, when the word is used in connection with God and his relationship, with his people then the world has the sense of one who constituted controls guides and lovingly watches over his people hence he is not described as Israel's creator in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 6 Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 32 Verse 6 It reads In this way You repay The Lord Oh, foolish and unwise people Is he not your father Your creator Who made you And formed you So here is described it's used to describe God as the Creator. Now in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 2, it has a sense of ancestor, ancestor. That is, of course, uh, someone from whom you are descended, usually more remote than grandparents, and, and usually strictly, of course, ma- masculine, though possibly generic in the plural in the sense that it could be applied to both sexes. Anyway, so our interpretation that the word father should be understood as a reference to ancestor means that Moses had in mind his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the phrase of where we're Exodus 15 Verse 2, when he say, my father's God. My father's God. Although, he uses singular form to describe them. Now, this interpretation agrees with how God identified himself to Moses and Israel, as we read in Exodus chapter 4, verse 5. Exodus Exodus chapter 4, verse 5. It is this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Hence, we are sad that the phrase, my father's God, should be understood as a short formula that describes God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now there is more though. The phrase, my father's God, in the mouth of Moses and that of the Israelite is a reminder of the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness. See the phrase reminded Moses and Israel that God is about to fulfill His promise that He made to their forefathers regarding their occupation of the land of Canaan. Now this promise was first given to Abraham as recorded in Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Genesis hold on to Genesis, we'll pick up some two more passages here for now. Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. It is, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me, that's Abraham, and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, we, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now this promise was repeated to Isaac in Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4. Genesis Chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. It is, stay in this land for a while. Okay, Here's the background, of course. Is there was famine in Canaan. Isaac, in a sense, wanted to copy his father. Because when that hit, Abraham went to Egypt. So he wanted to go. God said, no, you don't go. Stay where you are. So that's the background. So he says, Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Likewise, the promise was reiterated to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28 verses 13 and 14. Genesis chapter 28 verses 13 and 14. It is, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So the point we are really making. Is that the phrase, my father's God. In the mouth of Moses, and Israel implies that they praise God for his faithfulness. His faithfulness. In the promise he made to their forefathers, his engagement on praise of God should remind us of his faithfulness to his promises. That's one thing that you can count on. That's what you can praise him. How faithful he is in keeping his promises. Now, it is his God, Moses described, that he resolved to praise, as in the last clause of Exodus 15, verse 2, when it says, And I will exalt him. And I will exalt him. Now, the word exalt is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to be high. Be high, as it is used in describing a mountain in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 12. Deuteronomy, I hold on to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2, sorry. Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verse 2. Here we see our Hebrew word, Ram. is translated differently. Here it says, destroy completely all the places and the high mountains. And on the hills and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Now, in this passage, uh, it is a Hebrew uh, participle that is used so that the verb is translated as an adjective, high, when it's a high mountain. That's a verb, but it's a participle. Now, the word must mean to be raised or to be uplifted. Now, in many passages, our word then is used figuratively. For example, it is used to symbolize victory or being triumphant being very triumphant as the word is used in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 37 Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 27 uh, being uh, triumphant or victorious here it says, it reads, Deuteronomy 32, 27 reads, But I dreaded the thought of the enemy, lest the adversary misunderstand and say, Our hand has triumphed the Lord, has triumphed. The Lord has not done all this. So here our word is tri- uh, translated triumphant. Now the word also is used figuratively with the one hand to convey presumption or defiance as it is used in Numbers chapter 15 verse 30. Numbers Numbers chapter 15 verse 30. It is But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native, born, or alien, blasphemes the Lord. And what, and that person must be cut off from his people. See that, the clause, who sins defiantly, is literally, who acts with a high hand. Almost like, in somebody are in God. That's part of what being defiant is. Now the word is also used with the one hand to give the sense of boldly. boldly. Still in that numbers, look at chapter 33, verse 3. Numbers. Chapter 33, verse 3. It is, the Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, day, the day after the Passover. They marched out boldly in view of all the Egyptians. See, that word, boldly, is literally from the Hebrew. With a high hand that was raised. With a high hand that was raised. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 15 verse 2. The word means to exalt. That is to praise, to glorify or to honor. Hence what Moses and so Israel vowed or resolved to do is to honor or to speak in a manner that acknowledges the greatness of the God He described in the phrase of Exodus 15 verse 2 My Father's God Now it is not only that Moses vowed or resolved to honor or to praise God but he continued to do this in his further description of the God His uh, presence, As we read in the first sentence Of Exodus chapter 15 That we're starting Look at verse 3 The first sentence says The Lord is a warrior That's his further description The Lord is a warrior Now literally though The Hebrew reads this way Yahweh Yahweh A man of war A man of war due to the Hebrew words of course used, that we'll see. But before we get to them, it's really worth noting that it appears that the translators of the Septuagint had problem with describing the Lord as man of war. Man of war. That they use a Greek verb that means to crush or to annihilate. So, the Septuagint Instead of what we have here, the Lord is a warrior The way they translated it from the Hebrew to the Greek Reads in this way The Lord is one who annihilates wars In other words, he crushes all wars But that's not really uh, what the Hebrew text says Nonetheless, the Hebrew, literal Hebrew simply reads Yahweh: a man of war, a man of war. Now the word "man here" in the literal translation is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean "man that refers to a male or female human, as a class or kind in contrast to other classes of created beings. And many times I've explained to you. That as far as the Bible is concerned, uh, men and women are described with the word man. So that it's not a question of male, of, I mean, uh, female, of uh, male, and so on. But the Bible uses the, the word to describe both man and woman. So that uh, in some pa- uh, passages, he will describe, in Genesis 5, for example, I think that's 4, so he describes. Uh, Both as man. Now the meaning man may refer of course to a matured male adult. The word may be used in the sense of being courageous. Courageous. As the word is used in the encouragement offered to the Philistines. In their war or battle against the Israelites. As we read in 4 Samuel chapter 4 verse 9. 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 9. It is be strong Philistines, be men, or you will be subjects to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. See that encouragement. Be men. You know, it's addressed to men. Now, so that would not make sense. How can you tell men to be men? Unless, the word men here is used as a reference to being courageous to defeat the Israelites. In other words, you can't tell men to be men. What does that really mean? But if you say, be courageous, then you understand what men mean in this context. Anyway, however though, the, the point remains that uh, the Hebrew word can be uh, ish, of course, in the Hebrew can have various meanings. In our passage of Exodus 15 verse 3, it is used as a reference to adult male person. Adult male person. Now the, when, it says, uh, the, when it says the Lord is a warrior Which literally is Yahweh, a man of war Now the word war here is translated from a Hebrew word That refers to a battle or to a war However, when the word is used with the word man, man The implication is that of a soldier who is courageous I'm passionate about fighting in battlefield. You won't believe it. There are, there are those who love being in battlefield. They just like fighting in the war. I mean, as much as war is uh, something you don't want to get involved in, but they just mean, by then, they just love it, And that's why you can have things like missionaries, and they'll go from one place to another place, go to fight. They just love doing that. It is, uh, <laughs> it, it can be intriguing until you know, they start seeing bodies slide down, you know, go up and down, and pfft, you realize, no, this is not a tricky matter. But the, nonetheless, there are people who just love it. I don't know, it it's them, but it's not something that most people will be too uh, thrilled about, but there are those who are. So, then the use of the word, uh, the literal phrase, man of war, To describe God is based on the belief that God is present in war with Israelites as they fight their end and fight their enemy for them. So that's the way it is viewed. That yes, He is one who is with us and He fights our battle for us. That is the understanding that is reflected in Isaiah 42, verse 13. Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 13. It is, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will steer up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. See, like here, a warrior, so here the Lord is compared to a soldier that is passionate about fighting. One who is very passionate about it. Now it is Jesus' belief that God fights their battles that is reflected in their session that the battle belongs to him, as we read, for example, when David uttered the words recorded for us in First Samuel, chapter 17, verse 47. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 47. Verse 47 He reads All those gathered here, we know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. So, in any event, Moses described God as the one who vigorously defends Israel or fights Israel's battle for them. Now Israel has seen the Lord fight for them so that they were delivered from the hands of the Egyptians as Moses told them that the Lord will fight for them in Exodus 14 verse 14. That's what you told them. When they saw the Egyptians after them and they were panicking, he assured them, but but Exodus 14, verse 14, reads, The Lord will fight for you. That's what he assured them. You need only to be still. Anyway, the promise that the Lord will fight for Israel was not limited to this deliverance from the hands of Pharaoh and his army. But in the future battles, Israel will face as they made their way to the land of Canaan. Thus, to describe the Lord as warrior, or literally, man of war, is to describe him as the one that fights Israel's battles for them. Now the implication is that when you praise God you should recognize that he is the one that fights your battle for you. Regardless of the nature of that battle know that he fights your battle for you. Thus it is not surprising that the psalmist petitioned the Lord to fight against those who fight him As we read in Psalm 37 and 35, verse 1. Psalm 35, verse 1. Psalm chapter 35, verse 1. And hold on to Psalms. Psalms 35, verse 1 reads, Contain, O Lord, with those who contend with me fight against those who fight against me. That's part of what we call imprecatory prayer. In other words, David, uh, the psalmist said, those who attack me, attack them. Fight for me. And you, can, you can actually, you can join the psalmist and pray for God to fight for you or to defend you from those who mean to harm you. This is the kind of prayer the psalmist Offered in Psalm 119, verse 154. Psalms 119, verse 154. Psalm 119, verse fifty one fifth one fifty four. It is, defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. So anyway, we contend that as you praise God for any of his deliverances, you should be conscious that he is the one that fights for you. As we will say, I get colloquially, he has your back covered. That's why you should praise him. He is for you. And you trust him to defend and fight for you. That is an assurance from him. If we trust him, if we depend upon him, he's going to be fighting for us. So there should be no doubt then, that Moses saw Israel's God as the one that vigorously defends Israel as evident in Israel's deliverance from the hands of the Egyptians but he wanted to convey that the God who fights for Israel is the one that is in covenant relationship with her thus he states in the last sentence of Exodus 15 verse 3 he said, the Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. In other words, we're saying, he wants to remind Israel. This is one in relationship with you. So he says the Lord is his name. Now the Vulgate, that's a Latin translation. The Vulgate reads something like this. The Omnipotent, or the Almighty, if we use it's one of those, is his name. But of course, it's a 2 adjectives. It Reads the same as we have in the Masoretic text. That is, the Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. Now the word Lord here is translated from a Hebrew uh, word. Hebrew word that is often translated Yahweh as the name the God of Israel gave to the Israelites through Moses for identifying him is the sacred tetragrammaton that is uh, just Y H W H so it's called the sacred tetragrammaton for le- for let- Hebrew letters but it's really we translated putting some vowel like say Yahweh so. By doing that, he's referring, trying to remind Israel that, yes, the God I'm praising is one in covenant relationship with you. Because that's the name he gave for identifying himself to Israel. So it is to leave no doubt that the Hebrew word translated Lord in the NIV is a term used for identification of the God that Moses offered his praise That the word name is used Which is uh, translated from a Hebrew word That could mean reputation or fame But here though it is used with the meaning name That is of course a proper description Or designation of a person Except that this identification is for the supreme God of Israel, the Supreme God. So, anyway, so with this description of God, we have finished examining the first element of praise of Moses' song that led to the assertion that the first content of your praise of God should be the characteristic or characteristics of God that pertain to his specific. Goodness to you When you experience his goodness Whatever aspect of it You can say this My God is this, my God is this And what he did for you That's what you focus In praising him So we proceed then With a second description But before we do Let me remind you Of your second responsibility uh, Relating To the praise of God Which is to ensure that in your praise, you acknowledge specific characteristic or characteristics of God relevant to his action for which you praise him, as well as acknowledge his uniqueness. Now the second then of your praise to God for his goodness to you is his action and the manner in which he carried out. If that is known to you, you may not always know how he carried it, but if you do, that should be part of it. Now, this second content is based on God's action towards the Egyptians and the manner in which that was carried out. God's action, that was the focus of Moses' song, is the destruction of Pharaoh and his army described using two sentences in Exodus, where well, we're we'll starting in chapter 15, verse 4. The first sentence of the verse is, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hauled into the sea. Now a chariot is uh, a two-wheeled horse drawn vehicle that although it could be used for travels and races, but here it is used for warfare. Now in, in battle, or in battlefield, it is used, though, as a mobile platform from which to shoot volleys of arrows to soften up uh, the enemy infantry. In other words, some things like tanks today in the war, where you keep running down those, those bombs to explode to neutralize the enemy or clear some points so you can move. So it, it became the, part of the artillery. Uh, if we talk about modern day, but a chariot was used in that way for war. Thus, it was considered an important military equipment since. It was drawn by a horse. The implication is that a soldier will ride such a horse. Now, that notwithstanding, here we are informed that the military equipment of the Egyptians and the army were destroyed because of the sentence he has hauled into the sea. Now, Moses was probably thinking of how powerful God. Is as described As he described the destruction Of Pharaoh and his army And what was involved Now we say this because of the word Hold Is translated from a Hebrew word That may mean to shoot In the sense of hauling something Through the air So it is used of uh, shooting uh, an arrow Through the air as it is used to describe God's assurance to King Hezekiah that despite the King of Assyria's boast to attack Jerusalem, that that was not going to take place, in Second Kings chapter nineteen, verse thirty-two. Second Kings. chapter 19, verse 32. 2nd Kings, chapter 19, verse 32 reads, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning King the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot. That's a Hebrew word. An arrow here. He will not come before it with shield Or build a a siege ramp against it Now in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 4 The Hebrew word is used with the meaning of to haul That is, to throw forcefully Now hence, we contend that Moses was thinking of how powerful God is To be able to haul the chariots and the Egyptian army into the sea Now it is not that the Lord tossed the uh, chariots and the army into the sea, but that God displayed his power in such a way that what happened to the Egyptian army could be viewed as God throwing them into the air before they came crashing to the ground or down into the sea. Now remember, the Egyptians' army pursued the Israelites into the sea through the dry ground the Lord prepared for Israel to cross the Red Sea. They didn't realize, yes, God cleared out it's for his people, not for them. And so he swallowed them in it. Anyway, furthermore, God acted in such a way that the chariots of the Egyptian army got stuck in I mean on the floor of the sea. So, when the Egyptians entered the dry land and God acted, He worked on them in a manner that implied He swept them off the floor of the sea so that it appeared they were first thrown into the air before they crashed into the sea as to be drowned as reported in the passage we, we studied in, in chapter 14. Anyway, the scenario here, the uh, scenario that you look at here is made clearer in the second sentence I described the destruction of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. Now, the further description of the destruction of Pharaoh and his army is the drowning of Pharaoh. And the finest commanding officers in the Egyptian army who were riding on the chariots. As in the second sentence of Exodus chapter 15 verse 4 we are studying. It is, the best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. Now the word officers here is translated from a Hebrew word. With disputed meanings. Now he could refer to a third rank in the military that comes after the king and his military commanders. So he could refer to an officer for special assignment who may serve as an individual's aide. For example, what is, it uh, could be referred as the king's adjutant or in the military they have also adjutants as you can see uh, a person described that way not using the word adjutant but that's the kind of an assignment to help the king as we see in 2nd Kings chapter 9 verse 25 2nd Kings chapter 9 verse 25 all I'm saying is one who helps, uh, sometimes we say an adjutant in the military. Here it he is, Jehu said to Birka, his chariot officer, that is one who helps him. Here, because his adjutant said, Pick him up and throw him on the field that belongs to nobody, neighbor, the Jezreel. Remember how you and I were riding together in chariots behind Ahab, his father, when the Lord made this prophecy about him. Now, already the Hebrew word could serve, uh, uh, refer to a person who could serve as part of a group during uh, Jehu's killing of the ministers of Baal. In his attempt to eradicate uh, The worship of Baal In Israel As we read in 2nd Kings Chapter 10 verse 25 2nd Kings Chapter 10 verse 25 It reads As soon as Jehu had finished Making the burnt offering He ordered the gods and officers go and kill them. Let no one escape. So they called them down with the sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out. And then entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. Now this notwithstanding. It seems that the best meaning though of the Hebrew word is a third man. A third man. In a chariot whose function then was an adjutant to the man in the chariot who did the fighting. Those those who who were transported by the chariots were the finest commanding officers of the Egyptian army. Now know that this is infantry, the rest are going on their foot, walking. But those who have been transported by the chariots are considered the finest officers. So they were the ones that were destroyed by the Lord Drowning them into the sea I mean even the others who were walking on the foot They were drowned Thus Moses not only described the Lord That the Lord displayed his power Or his great power In such a way That it appeared that he first tossed The Egyptians' chariots and soldiers into the air Then before dashing them in the, to the floor of the sea to be drowned Now probably To ensure that there is no confusion Of the manner Of the destruction of the Egyptian army Moses continued To elaborate On the, meaning, or the means of the destruction As we read in Exodus 15 verse 5 Where we are studying Because this is what it describes He The deep waters have covered them. So the phrase here, deep waters, is translated from a Hebrew word that means, like many, ocean. Ocean, as it is used in the description of wisdom that is personified in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 24. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 25. I mean, chapter 8, verse 24. It reads, when there was no oceans, that's a Hebrew word, the home. When there were no oceans, I guess birth. When there were no springs, abandoned with water. Now the Hebrew word, of course, may simply mean springs, springs. As in Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. It is for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing. In the valleys and hills That's a Hebrew word here It's translated springs Now in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 5 The word is used in the sense of Deep body of water That in our context Refers to the Red Sea Or what is called the Sea of Reeds Now this body of water Was of such a depth That it covered completely the chariots Of the Egyptians and all the soldiers of the Egyptian army. So that it can be described that they were drowned. So it is used to convey that the Egyptian army drowned uh, drowned in the sea. That we have the last sentence of verse 5. When it says, they sank to the depths like a stone. So the picture here, or the picture depicts... That of something that goes to the bottom of a body of water Without any resistance Thus the destruction of the Egyptian army Was such that they offered no resistance but simply drowned because of how God displayed his power over them So Moses, having mentioned the action of God on behalf of Israel that is the destruction of the Egyptian army and Pharaoh through the drowning of them in the sea. He continued with a more direct assertion of the manner in which God did this. Remember what we're we'll is if you know what he did, the manner he did it, make reference to that and thank him for that. Now it is true this for Moses, as he's praising God here. It is through the exercise of his power that he destroyed them. This Moses stated then in the fourth sentence of Exodus 15, verse 6, when he said, Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Now, God is a spirit, and so does not have hands as we humans. But Moses declared, you are right hand, O Lord. That's what he declared, you are right hand, O Lord. So, what did Moses mean in the sentence, "Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Now to answer this question, we need to examine the, uh, the words he used. But, we are out of time. So by the grace of God, next week. We'll look at it, but we begin, let me end by reminding you of the second responsibility that you have when it comes to praising God, which is to ensure that in your praise, you acknowledge specific characteristics or characteristics of God relevant to His action for which you praise Him, as well as acknowledge His uniqueness. You praise Him for what He did for you. And you continue to remember some aspect of his person that describes or that's most suitable. Because in recent, everything God does for us, goes to some part of his uh, person. But there are some that will we, we focus maybe in his power, maybe in his mercy, or whatever it is that's described to you most. That's what you praise him for. And that is part of praising him. As well as remembering that He remains the unique God of the universe. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of Your Word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to help us to recognize and know how to praise You for the goodness that You show to us moment by moment and day by day. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.